The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of Berean Baptist Church. Now, it's always a, a privilege, and uh, I just thank God for our church. I thank God for each one of you. I, I thank God for the Word of God. You know, we can open it up and just see what the Spirit does, how the Spirit speaks to our hearts. So, um, I've rather bent, I guess you could say, on continuing our study on discontentment. I actually had kind of broken up into a, well, over time, not, not initially, but over time, broken up to four different le- lessons. So if you've been here for the other part of the series, we're, we're on part three now, part three of four on discontentment. It's kind of interesting, you know, I just spoke about the Spirit, and uh, but it's interesting how the Spirit works, isn't it? Because Pastor, when he came back right away, he started... Uh, going, going, firing all still going and hitting hard on worry, right? And I, and here I am having talked about discontentment, which they're not the same thing, but they're very similar, right? It's almost like, uh, two different sides of the same coin or two different branches of the same tree because worry is not trusting God to provide. And what is discontentment? Being discontent with what God has already Provided, right? So they're, they're similar, but of course not the same. So I asked the question in our first lesson, when we started speaking about discontentment, is to ask yourself, why am I so unhappy? Why am I so unhappy? Now in part one, just to review for those who were here, or maybe, maybe you weren't here, but in part one we discussed how covetousness is the root or the seed of our discontentment. And in part two, we analyzed our own level of discontentment. If you remember the little survey that we passed out and everybody went through the survey and um, perhaps some of you were surprised and maybe how discontented you really were. Uh, maybe for some of you, it was you were right where you thought you, you would be. I know for me, I was more discontented than I thought I was, I was really. So, but we analyzed our own level of discontentment and we looked at God's instruction regarding covetousness, verses that had to do with covetousness, commands, and so forth, and also the consequences of covetousness. And then in part three today, we will examine God's solution for our discontentment. God's solution for our discontentment. Now, if you don't mind, let's stretch out a little bit and stand, if you can, and open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to be, it's going to be our text verse again. 1 Timothy 6, verses 5 through 10. 1 Timothy 6, verses 5 through 10. The Bible says, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing or stating that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food 
and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. We'll talk about that a little bit today. And, and of course, the evils that were perhaps mentioned in verse 9 there. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You may be seated. We've been laboring through a working definition of contentment. I brought it up last time, and as 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us, that through the assistance of the Holy Spirit, we would be able to rightly divide or discern God's Word, the Word of Truth. Amen? Our definition of contentment is this. Contentment is realizing that God has already provided everything that we need to glorify and enjoy Him, now and forever. We said that it is our purpose our privilege, our blessing, and our responsibility to enjoy God and glorify Him in and through our life. Last study we finished in 1 Timothy 6.5 where we talked about how, contrary to what the prosperity gospel false preachers proclaim, gain is not godliness, and godliness is not gain. At least it's not material gain. Amen? The love of money the Bible points out rather prominently is a uh, routine characteristic, if you will, of false teachers. 1 Timothy 5.2 and 2 Peter 2.3. This is a common characteristic of, of false teachers, their lust for money and their love of money. God provides us with the formula for contentment. God is so good. God knows the heart of man. And God knows our proclivity to be discontent, to become discontent, disenfranchised, to gripe and complain. Do you ever do that? I never do that. God provides us with a formula for contentment, the how to be content. Verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain, great riches. These are the riches the Bible tells us we're to pursue. And we'll come, we'll come back to this because there's a lot to be said here in verse 6. I do want to uh, cover the, the rest of these verses that we didn't quite get to finish up last time in regards to uh, covetousness, right? And we said before, again, what is discontentment? It's covetousness. For Verse 7, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. We are to have an eternal perspective. Our previous pastor, Pastor Cregan, used to say, you can't take a U-Haul with you when you die. I remember him saying that time and time again. In Job 1.21 we read, And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In other words, Job was praising the Lord, whether God gave or whether God took away. Job said, praise the Lord. Amen? That's how we should be. Praise God. Praise God for what we have. Praise God for what we don't have. Praise God. 
Furthermore, for a Christian, the consideration that we brought nothing into this world but sin, and when we leave it, we'll leave with all the riches of heaven, should provoke and stir our hearts to a great amount of thankfulness and gratitude to God. Continuing in 1 Timothy 6.8, the Bible says, "...and having food and raiment..." And that word raiment there means covering. And most commentators agree that it's not just speaking of clothing, but it's also speaking of shelter, which makes sense because you cannot survive very long without food, clothing, and shelter. But basically, the necessities of life. The Bible says, "...and having food and raiment, let us be therewith content with our temporal possessions." God says the necessities of life are all we need materially to be content. In other words, our happiness and comfort does not depend upon us having a great deal of material wealth. Necessities are what support our life, not superfluities, not abundance. In Psalm 37.25, I find this verse quite Amazing, But David says here in Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Not only the righteous, but the righteous children. Never begging bread. God always faithfully provided for them as God has provided, faithfully provided for us. And as God has faithfully promised to always provide for us, and God is always faithful to his word. David had never observed over the course of his entire life, and David says here, I mean, he's lived a long life. He, he's not a young man, right? He was young, now he's old. Over a long period of time, David says he's never observed over the course of his entire life God's children in circumstances where they had to beg for the necessities of life. Poor? Perhaps. Beggars? No. David had not seen it. Philippians, you think of, uh, I think of Elijah, right? The widow of Zarephath. And I think Pastor was talking about that recently in one of his sermons. And uh, God, did God faithfully, faithfully provide for Elijah? He got there and, and the widow said, what? I'm ready to make a cake for my son and I and die. Right? But God faithfully provided until the drought was over. Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your need. God shall, that's a promise, God will supply all your need. So it's a promise and it's a limitation. God will promise us to provide for us all of our needs, but not our wants. Now God may give us some things that we want, but He may not. That's God's ultimate prerogative. God provides us with what He has providentially determined that we need for our good, and not only our good, but for His glory. The Bible goes on to say, according to the riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And what is the state of God's riches in glory by Christ Jesus? They're boundless, aren't they? They're endless, and they're without limitation. Psalm 37, 16, A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. 
Well, how can that be? How can the little that a righteous man have be better than the riches of many wicked? Because we possess the Lord. We possess the Lord, the source and wellspring of all enduring happiness, contentment, and blessing. Amen? Amen. Amen. 1 Timothy 6.9, continuing there in verse 9, but they that will be rich, notice, these are people who are not rich, but they desire to be rich. And they're determined to be rich, choosing to trust in worldly wealth for their happiness. Now, people may be rich. They may have money, but they don't love it, right? They don't lust after it. They don't commit adultery. Over, they don't worship the money, right? But the Bible is talking about those who would be rich, who desire and are determined to be so. The Bible says, fall into into temptation. They're drawn away from God. They're overcome by their covetousness, as we see many times in Scripture, and a snare. What's a snare? It's a trap. They're entangled and ensnared by their lust. Continuing verse 9, which drown men in destruction and perdition, utter irreconcilable ruin, body, and soul. This is the end of the person who will be rich at any cost. Ultimately, they drown in their sin. Continuing in verse 10, the Bible says, For the love of money, money, an immoderate, insatiable desire to have it, is what we're talking about here, is the root of all evil. And the question I put forth to you is, what sins will men not be drawn to by the love of money? Covetousness is responsible for a significant amount of evil in this world and is defined accurately as idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry when we love whatever we are coveting more than we love God. Putting it before God and above God in our heart and practice serving it as if it was our God and placing our trust and confidence in it rather than in the true God. Covetousness seduces our heart and our affections away from the Creator to the creature, to the creation, which properly belong to God. Colossians 3.5 tells us, Mortify or put to death, therefore, your members, your your sinful actions in context here, which are upon the earth, denying these sinful appetites through the Spirit. Romans 8.13 Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The Bible also tells us in Ephesians 5, verses 3-5, through 5, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient. In other words, which are not fit for the child of God. But rather, giving of thanks. Who do we give thanks to? To God. Praise God. Verse 5, For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, 
have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, an observation worth noting, as you study covetousness, is that whenever you see covetousness in the Bible, it is always associated with the most egregious sins of our corrupted nature. It has been said that of all the base passions, covetousness is the one that most dethrones God from the soul. John Calvin referred to the human heart as a perpetual factory of idols. The idolatrous love of money, in other words, greed, was the root cause of Judas' sin that overcame and ensnared him to betray the sinless Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, for 30 pieces of silver, and to afterwards take his own life, Matthew 26, 15, and 27, 5. Imagine for 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus Christ. That is the power of the lust of covetousness, of the lust of greed, and the lust of idolatry. In Ecclesians 5.10, the Bible says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity, or this is also worthless and profitless. So lustful greed can never be satisfied. Lustful greed can never be satiated. And continuing in uh, uh, 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, in lust and deed, they have erred or strayed from the faith. They deserted the faith and pierced themselves through, or pierced themselves entirely through, with many sorrows. Riches bring with them a multitude of sorrows in acquiring riches and in keeping them as if being pierced through many times with many arrows. In Job 20.15 we read, He has swallowed down riches and he shall vomit them up again. God shall cast them out of his belly. Some of these verses that Scripture that you're talking about, Pastor was covering today, I thought that was, that was great, right? There's the spirit, the spirit working. Matthew six nineteen through 24, Lay not up for yourself treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, or heavenly rewards, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We are to place our heart and life safely in the hands of our loving Heavenly Father, the source of true, sustaining happiness, treasuring heavenly, spiritual, eternal things, using everything God gives us for His glory. Or, will we pour our heart and life into temporal short-sighted and short-lived earthly things that cannot satisfy and that can be corrupted and stolen from us. Continuing in uh, Matthew six nineteen through 24, in that passage, verse 22, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. 
No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. God says here that you cannot serve the riches of this world and God. So seductive and deceitful are riches in stealing our heart away from God. The Lord says it's not possible to serve Him while simultaneously living for wealth. Luke 12, 15-21, the Bible says, And He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. A person's life cannot be prolonged by the increase of their possessions, nor sickness, disease, or death averted or avoided, nor do possessions produce lasting happiness and contentment. Verse 16, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The Believer's Bible Commentary appropriately states, The greatest riches a person can have lie in possessing him who promises, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13.5 Turning our attention back to 1 Timothy 6.6, as I said we would, this verse in particular may be the most profound verse in the Bible, especially when considering our own contentment. In 1 Timothy 6.6, the Bible says, but, or in contradistinction to material gain, being godliness, godliness, that is, holiness, piety with contentment, with self-satisfaction or sufficiency, is great or exceedingly great gain. And what is gain? Profit and advantage to the immaterial man, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, in every sense. Godliness is not religion. A religious experience or performing religious duty, but rather starts with a genuine union with God that begins with the reception of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. At salvation, a Christian receives positional justification and sanctification imputed to them by the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, the Christian is made holy by God at salvation. However, for the Christian, salvation is just the beginning of the Christian life. The Christian is to progressively grow in their sanctification. Said another way, the Christian is to pursue godliness, or as Philippians 2.12 states, to work out their salvation. Philippians 2.12, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. 
work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And how are we to work out our own salvation? What, to, what should be our attitude towards God and our attitudes towards others, for that matter? But primarily to God here, when we speak of reverence, our attitude towards God should be reverence and humility. What is godliness? I'm sure if I were to ask several of you what you thought godliness was, you'd probably all give me a slightly different variation of, of what godliness is to you. What is godliness? Godliness is reverence and love for God, which manifests itself by obedience to the Lord and submission to his will in our worship, in our service, and in our conduct. Those who are godly not only possess the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22-23, as every person does who possesses Christ, receiving the fruit of the Spirit as a collective whole, but they determine to go further, continually yielding themselves to the Spirit of God. The godly are faithful to cultivate and diligently put to use the fruit of the Spirit in their life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which is patience, gentleness, which is kindness, goodness, charity, beneficence, faith, meekness, which is humility, and temperance, self-control. The Holy Spirit produces one kind of fruit, Christ-likeness, and nothing could be godlier than possessing Christ's likeness. Amen? Amen. Galatians 5, 16-17, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, or these are adversaries, the one to the other. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would, the evil things that ye would otherwise do without the restraint of the Holy Spirit, without the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22, 25 through 25, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. The Bible goes on to say in verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, every Christian is indwelled by the Holy Spirit and lives in the Spirit. The Bible says, goes on to say, let us also walk in the Spirit. But not every Christian is filled with the Spirit. Not every Christian is submitted and yielded to the Spirit of God. And this is what Galatians tells us here when it says, when it commands, so to speak, be filled with the Spirit. The indwelling Holy Spirit within the believer causes the inward man to thrive through the graces of the fruit of the Spirit as we exercise them in our daily lives. This is godliness in action. The graces of God are true, satisfying, sufficient, limitless, and unsearchable. Alexander McLaren said, quote, The man who lives to God truly lives. Godliness fosters and nourishes contentment. Contentment is a natural byproduct of godliness. Therefore, contentment always accompanies godliness. 
and is a considerable part of the gain of godliness. Though we must consciously choose to be content when we pursue godliness in our life, it is easier for us to be content because we are already surrendered to and trusting in the right source of true contentment and happiness, God himself. Godliness is the cause and contentment is the effect. Contentment means self-satisfied or self-sufficient. MacArthur says the Stoic philosophers used the Greek word for contentment, self-sufficiency, to describe a person who was unflappable and unmoved by external circumstances. The idea is not a self-sufficiency, but a God-dependent self-sufficiency that is dependent upon the abundant resources of the grace of God to be content. Self-sufficiency in its strictest sense is an attribute that only belongs to God, who is El Shaddai, God all-sufficient and self-sufficient. God is enough. In short, God is enough. And I I brought that there's a song, the Clark family, I don't know if any of you have heard it, it's called Big Enough. It's a simple song, but I brought some, some lyrics to read to you from the song. And because uh, I, I like the song. I like the song because it, it, it conveys a simple truth that is so important for us to always have in mind. So the title of the song, Big Enough, There are days when the shadows of doubt make me feel small. I declare that I don't stand in my strength at all. Because I won't live a day you didn't plan. Every single moment is in your hands. Even if the whole world shakes, you're the rock on which I stand. In the chorus, so when it seems it can't be done, I know God is big enough. I can run the race I'm called to run because I know God is big enough. He'll finish everything he starts. He'll meet us right here where we are. And I can feel faith rising up because I know God is big enough. I'll just read to you uh, a few more lines. It says, bigger than the fear that surrounds me. Bigger than the chains that have bound me. Bigger than the story my past could tell. And some of us have pretty good, pretty long stories, don't we? Not, not good stories, but long, long stories. Bigger than the weight of tomorrow. Bigger than the hurt and the sorrow. Bigger than the lies I've told myself. So that's a song, which I believe is scripturally Grounded. What does the Bible say regarding the sufficiency of God? Second Corinthians three five. Second Corinthians three five. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. We do not ascribe anything to ourselves, especially of a spiritual nature. The Bible says, but our sufficiency is of God. Again, it's 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound. And that word abound is, means superabound toward you. And God is able to make all grace superabound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency through the Lord in all things may superabound to every good work. God provides us God provides for us all our needs, temporal and spiritual blessings, so that we superabound 
for his purposes. Not only does the Lord satisfy our needs through his gracious provision for us, but he also equips, enables, and empowers us to minister to others, especially the saints of God. Especially the saints of God in this church. All genuinely godly people have learned to be content in whatsoever state they are in, being thankful for what they have. They submit quietly and rest contently in the will of God without complaining or becoming depressed, worrisome, or anxious, and patiently and cheerfully bear every adverse providence. They are content with what God gives them, well knowing that this is what is best for them. Whatever God gives us is what is best for us. We are to endeavor after godliness with contentment. This is real gain. This is real riches and is the key to lifelong happiness. Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Not that I speak in respect of want, Paul said, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased. Paul says, I know how to be humbled. I know how to be brought low and treated with contempt. And I know how to abound. I know how to excel. Everywhere and in all things, in all circumstances of life, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Paul received internal strength from Christ to bear adversities, sorrows, afflictions, and distresses, as well as be able to handle prosperity in a way that glorified Christ. Matthew Henry said the word strengtheneth in the original is a participle of the present tense and denotes a present and continued act as if Paul had said through Christ who is strengthening me and does continually strengthen me it is by his constant and renewed strength I am enabled to act in everything. I wholly depend upon him for all my spiritual power. For a Christian to be content, we must depend entirely upon God's sufficiency, upon His abundant resources, rather than our own sufficiency. When a Christian diligently pursues godliness in their life, God supplies them with the inner resources they they need. Strength, assurance, close communion with God, comfort, peace, Contentment, love, hope, faith, joy, truth, patience, kindness, goodness, thankfulness, gratitude, wisdom, zeal, boldness, courage, self-control, the list goes on. God's grace is boundless. God's grace is limitless. Amen? 1 Timothy 4, 8-9 through For bodily exercise profiteth little. 1 Timothy 4, 8-9 through For bodily exercise profiteth little. There may be some small, temporal, personal benefit from self-denial or self-mortification, like the Catholics do, like during Lent or something, depriving themselves of certain things. But there is no spiritual benefit whatsoever in formal, external, outward worship. See Luke 13, 26 through 30. But godliness, internal spiritual worship, 
is profitable unto all things, the body and the soul, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Godliness secures the promises of God, reaping the benefits of God's blessing in this life and in eternity. The Bible goes on to say, this is a faithful, this is a true, this is a trustworthy saying. And worthy of all acceptation, or worthy of acceptance, to be readily received and believed by God's people. And is said as an encouragement to a constant exercise of godliness. 1 Peter 3, 3-4, through Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning, of plaiting the hair, so elaborate braiding of the hair, which speaks to pride and vanity, and of wearing of gold, that speaks to extravagance, or of putting on apparel, luxurious, expensive, or modest apparel. The idea is that our outward appearance is not to be our primary and chief focus that we spend a lot of time attending to. Our appearance should be presentable, but moderate and modest. I was on to say in verse 4, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in contrast to the outward adornment of the body. The Christian's chief care is to seek after the inward adornment of the soul or of the inward new man. We are to spend our time attending to adorning and ornamenting the new man with godliness. With all the graces of our Lord Jesus Christ through the operation of the Holy Spirit upon our soul. Bible goes on to say, and that which is not corruptible. Outward adorning consists of corruptible things, which we talked about a little bit earlier in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. The new man, though not yet perfected, has no corruption or impurity, nor can it be corrupted or ever perish, since it is God's workmanship, which he creates in righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians 4.24 says, And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true or genuine holiness. And then going back to 1 Peter 3, verse 4, to, to finish that verse up, the very end of that verse says, Even the ornament of a meek, there's humility again, and quiet spirit, patience, patient forbearance and submission, which is in the sight of God of great price, of great worth, of great value. A Christian who humbly, a Christian who patiently, without murmuring or complaining, submits himself to God, is very precious to God and extremely beneficial to others. A contented Christian indeed. Just in closing here, <laughs> I see all your eyes getting heavy. Just, just in closing here, lastly, with Psalm 37.4. Psalm 37.4, the Bible says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, or take great pleasure in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And of course, your desires, if you're taking pleasure in the Lord, your desires will be in line with the Lord's desires. Amen? 
All right. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the word of God. We just trust that your spirit will has done its work and will continue to do its work in our heart. We just pray that you'd strengthen us and build us up in the faith. We pray that you would have added to our godliness today through your spirit, that you would grow us more into Christ's image for your glory, Lord. We desire to glorify you in our lives, and we just pray that you would help us to help us to depend upon you, not only that we would not worry, but that we would depend upon you for all our sufficiency, that we would be worry-free and we would be contented people. It would seem, seems to me like nothing would be more unattractive to an unbeliever than a discontented Christian. Things Help us to be joyful in the things of God to the praise and glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Brian Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.